0: Oh, lots and lots of spoilers. Hey, man, be cool. Be way cool. We got to let the podcast slide into the dark (sighs) mystery. Feel that beat, the throb of the spirit of music as it bounces all around, declaring itself the ultimate master of Max Mike Movies! With that brilliantly descriptive opening, you just have to know that this week, we are looking deep into the soul of Miles Davis via the Don Cheadle film, Miles Ahead. How could you not know? Real cool, man. This show is brought to you by two of the coolest cats this side of Hoboken. Or is it, uh, is it, is it that side? I can never remember. On my right, geographically speaking, is that melodic master of mastication, Max Two-Tone Levine.
1: Crazy, baby, crazy.
0: And me, man, you gotta ask, I am the crooning cat what knows where it's at, midlife Mike Luce. We are so done with that. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're in the midst of a series called Semi-Real People, The Biopic Story, and this week's entry will test the very idea of what is and what is not an actual biopic, but first, we have some answers to last week's
1: poll question. Mm. And what was that poll question?
0: Well, for those who forgot, we asked you, our listeners, to tell us which movies you wish did not have a sequel, and there were a lot of answers. Let's Mm. get to some specifics. We've got our international listener, Vince, who starts off with, quote, Overall, I don't think any film should have a sequel, and the vast majority that do are terrible. There are, of course, some that are as good or surpass the original, but this is rare. What I really hate is when the first film is great and there is no opening for the story to go on, yet they do it anyway. We're looking Jaws at you, Highlander. Jaws comes to mind right away Uh, well Jaws and Star Crash because the second one didn't even have Carolyn Monroe in it I know we were all disappointed (laughs) by that I Uh,
1: couldn't believe they sold out like that
0: yeah and to your point The Exorcist Highlander the stories were told but Jaws seemed to set that trend that a sequel must be made at any cost if the film was a hit end quote so um, we can apparently blame this all on Steven Spielberg sounds good to me
1: I don't know. Coppola did that with Godfather 2. Of course, he was planning to do Godfather 2 at the same time as Godfather 1. And then he stopped and never made another one.
0: (laughs) At least as far as this show's concerned, because we haven't watched a third one.
1: In our reality, he never made another one.
0: Wasn't there a TV show? No! (laughs) (laughs) Next is Val, who once again is totally not my sister. She says, (laughs) quote, Wow, most of them? So often the sequels are awful jaws comes to mind <laughs> <laughs> smoky and the bandit caddyshack speed episodes four through six of star wars i think she means five and six uh she really hates one through three could do without seven to nine two but she doesn't hate them as much uh oh. look who's talking Ooh, <laughs> strangely yeah. terminator two that really? i think is an odd choice because i don't yeah. know if i would agree with her on that yeah uh, but it does seem like people don't like que- sequels or so they say um why is it we keep going Hmm. Corn that tastes like candy. Son of a bitch! (laughs) (laughs) And no, I'm not beeping that out. I didn't beep out asshole last week, so I'm not beeping up bitch this week.
1: Well, it's not one of the seven seven deadly words. Right.
0: And uh, last up is Dave, who gives us his opinion. Quote, the list is too long to name. Sequels work best when you have a story that is very different from the original. Yojimbo and Sanjuro, for example, or Alien and Aliens. But is should not have been made. <laughs> True. I also like when the piece is mostly atmospheric and has memorable characters like The Godfather. Yeah. I think the Blade Runner sequel captured the atmosphere but didn't work because the characters were not strong enough to carry a new story. I agree. Mm. Yeah. In contrast, I was not at all happy with the Back to the Future sequels because the original had a, such a solid script and characters and the sequels just didn't have a good enough storyline for the carriers to carry it. End quote. Interesting. So Yeah. So uh, our listeners seem to, in general, A, hate anything that came after Jaws, <laughs> as far as sequels go, and B, generally don't like sequels. Mm. And yet... <laughs> How about you, Max? Is there a film you wish did not have a sequel?
1: Uh, there are quite a few. i got to agree with Dave. I, li- I thought Back to the Future stood admirably by itself. Mm-hmm. I can even see a case for saying that Star Wars A New Hope, sorry, it's the only easiest way to identify it, didn't yeah. need any sequels. Yeah. Uh, I do think Godfather 2 is at least as good as the original. I think Mad Max, the sequel, surpasses the original. We talked about that.
0: Yep. I'm gonna go with Evil Dead, same thing there. Evil Dead 2 is way better than Evil Dead One, even though it's not really a sequel, it's really yeah, it's more kind of, of a, a remake. remake. Yeah. <laughs> and it's way, yeah. way better.
1: Um, I Yeah, I think there are there are a lot that I, I think don't don't call for sequels and I, I think I think it's an unfortunate trend in Hollywood that is move, movie a make money movie must must have movie B to make me make more money. Yeah. Money. Good. <laughs> we, we am geniuses here. to have too much money.
0: Thank Sorry. you. Bizarro Max.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. We deep cut to very old Saturday night live.
0: Yeah. I thought it was actually really interesting that two of our listeners brought up jaws specifically. Um, I would not have thought of "Look Who's Talking" because I didn't like the premise of the first one. So I, you know, but
1: the prim- uh, the first one, I think, is charming. I really like the way it worked. But they're quite right; it just fell apart, and none of it really didn't need any sequels, let alone I don't know four, five, however the hell many there were.
0: I think, but of the- course,
1: of course, the ultimate sequels that we really are glad that were made was Rogue Warfare Three. <laughs> Yes, let's hope story, for
0: four, shall we?
1: The, the, the story that, uh, you know, it just it cried out for an additional chapter, I assume.
0: <laughs> so the movie, I think, that got, got totally ruined by having sequels was, of course, Baby Geniuses, but... <laughs> <laughs> We have yes. a new question for this week. Yes, we do. Please feel free to chip in an answer in the usual ways. Any quotes we use will earn you Bumpy Bucks. Yes. They are totally tradable for items from our super giant catalog available nowhere soon. And remember, Bumpy Bucks, they're the NFT of podcasting.
1: Oh, God. <laughs> right. So this can week's question: Can we have question, sixty-nine not million dollars now, please?
0: Yes. Would you like to buy an NFT of this episode? <laughs> if so, you can contact
1: us. Yeah, whatever. If, if you would uh, like to buy an NFT version of this episode, please get help.
0: <laughs> or I have a sixteen million dollar tulip you might be interested in. <laughs> uh, this week's question: Should directors be allowed to go back and change their movies? And by change, we mean improve, update, or Han shot first. Let us know. <laughs> but now we go to trivia. The show. Trivia for Miles Ahead, which is the movie we're talking about this week. You may have forgotten, as we've had so much other stuff in the way, but yes, Miles Ahead. So, could not find a budget, but the movie grossed $5 million, so likely oh, not... I'm
1: guessing that was Mr. Cheadle's salary.
0: Well, or Ewan's, Mr. McGregor. Oh, Liger. true. True. Mr. McGregor, who's still trying to get that rascally bunny out of his his garbage his <laughs> all right. The character played by Ewan McGregor, journalist Dave Braden, is entirely fictitious. Yeah. There is no such person.
1: I still maintain that Rolling Stone magazine is also entirely fictitious. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you can prove otherwise, please come, never mind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the entire film is in essence fiction. It's considered less of an actual attempt at being a biography and more the wish of director-actor-writer Don Cheadle to cast Miles Davis in a caper movie. That being said, it is not entirely fictitious, but we'll get to that. As is often the case, this is not the re- n- real New York City either. It's <laughs> in fact Cincinnati, Ohio. All of it. There's not one frame of New York. So,
1: Well, there, yeah, if I remember right, I read something saying that so that the parts of Cincinnati they used gave the feel of 1970s New York better? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it, like it literally has not changed. And I'm sure Cincinnati was like, uh, yeah, sure. Film wherever you want. No, we don't, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the working title of this movie was Kill the Trumpet Player. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, Cheadle claims that the idea for making the movie came from Davis's creative process. The events are meant to be utterly plausible for Davis, even if mostly or entirely made up. He wanted the film to have a very uh, what's improvisational feel, as jazz often is made to be portrayed. Uh, the idea for the movie came from Davis's own family. They thought only Cheadle could play him. When Don met with the family, he pitched the idea of Miles being a gangster based on his life in 1945 and the 70s. Oddly, they approved and on it went. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't say that he's a gangster, but uh, they don't shy away
1: from- He claims to have been a pimp at one point.
0: No, at two points. (laughs) But yeah. And the the drugs, they don't uh, shy away from those either. Mm. The film was partially funded by Cheadle himself. Friends of Don Cheadle and crowdfunding via Indiegogo, <laughs> uh, and there is actually a credit at the end of you know GoGo sponsors. So huh. there. Do you know any other um, trivia about the film? Because it was really scant. I would go to two. About the film
1: questions. itself, no, almost nothing. There's very okay. little out there. Yeah. I I am actually interested to hear, folks. Have any of you heard of, let alone seen this movie? Has anybody besides the two of us seen it? Yeah. I would be a little surprised. I don't believe it got wide release. It was mostly in art and indie theaters. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I, Any no one I've ever mentioned it to has ever heard of it. Yeah.
0: And we lucked into it literally. I was visiting Max at one point and we were looking to go see some, you know, harder to find films and there's one of our favorite art houses is in my hometown. Uh, and it was like, what's playing? Well, of what's playing, why don't we go see this? I hated jazz. And so the idea of seeing a Miles Davis movie seems stupid, but... We'll get to that, but it turns out that Max and I literally lucked into seeing this in a theater because it was not widely available at all, mm. and I don't think it was out for long when it was. So, uh, but I'm going to get to the plot, such as it is. Okay. And if you would like to have a hit of your favorite illegal substance before I do so, it might help. No, I'm just kidding. Don't. Do uh, that.
1: Excellent pop rocks. Mm. <laughs> pop rocks. It's 1980- 1980.
0: <gasps> Max. Okay, go ahead. Max. Yep. Yeah. You do not snort Pop Rocks. <laughs> Excuse me? You, oh. You don't, you just eat them.
1: Excuse me, I'll be right back.
0: <laughs> pop Rocks, <sorry>. all right. Apparently a food, <laughs> but okay. Right, it's 1980 or so. Miles Davis, Don Cheadle, is trying to chill at home when who should come knocking at his door, wrecking his groove, but Rolling Stone writer Dave Braden, as played by Ewan McGregor. He wants a story about the supposed comeback of Miles who hasn't recorded anything or even played any music in five years. Miles gets rather violent and obviously doesn't mesh well with young Dave. When questioned, Dave says he was sent by Miles' record label, Columbia, which supposedly owes him an advance which Miles desperately needs for things that are totally not drugs. (laughs) Miles drags Dave both back to Columbia's HQ and, in a way, through his own past, as they go in search of his advance, some drugs, and eventually a tape Miles has made that is supposedly all that Columbia needs to release his comeback album. In the meantime, we meet up with a kid who seems to exceed Miles' own skills, makes him feel old, and at the same time, reminds him of a past with the love of his life, Francis. As the current times and the past collide, Miles and Dave find themselves in conflict with Guido the Killer Pimp, or (laughs) really some record producer who has a heavily armed bodyguard and who eventually gets a hold of Miles' tape in a game of musical tug-of-war. There's shooting, car chases, and other craziness in what turns out to be nothing more than a metaphor for the creative process? Or is it a heist film in kind of reverse? Miles hits the stage at the end, makes some amazing music. The end.
1: The down. So, I think there's also a case to be made that none of the movie actually happens. But yeah,
0: that was one of my notes. Wait, is this a dream sequence? Because yeah. it's kind of suggested that it was. Except kind of, kind of. It's it's hard to tell.
1: Yeah, it really is. Um.
0: So as we said in the trivia and i think we actually even uh, hinted at at the end of last week's episode this film is not entirely
1: truthful <laughs> <laughs> no this um, tr- it's it's this this film feels a lot like fan fiction kind of like yeah taking a real character or you know most fan fiction is fictional characters in this case taking a re- a character a person with using his real past cuz there was a Francis, and oh, yes. you know, he, he did, he, Miles Davis did have a bad hip due to uh, degenerative disease caused by sickle cell anemia, Yeah, a rather badly done hip replacement. He yep. was in pain most of his life.
0: He also did have painkilling drugs that caused him to hallucinate and at one point go after an uh, imaginary man in his house with a sharp implement. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, his scratchy voice—he actually had polyps on his vocal cords. He had an operation way back in 1955, and was told afterwards, "Don't talk," and very quickly got into an argument with somebody, <laughs> which caused that raspy voice for the rest
1: of his life. The funny thing about the drugs—I I, read some of the stories about him—he was uh, in his younger days uh, a junkie. He was a—he was very addicted to heroin. That was sort yeah. of the drug of choice musicians of the era of the 40s. He also kicked it by himself. Yep. He went home. He his, did have help. His father, his gr- I think, his, his,
0: and his girlfriend at the time. Yeah, he became a vegetarian. Uh, he kicked the habit, and then came
1: booze. Our yeah, old that, friend booze, uh, <laughs> Mr. Booze. Yeah, it was so difficult, but he apparently stayed off heroin for the rest of his life. I, yeah. This movie suggests he also did coke. I don't. Yep. I can't speak to that. I
0: wouldn't. Um, uh, apparently, they, they spoke to it in Wikipedia. Ah. Um, booze, coke, painkillers, um, and he would go on and off at various times in his life. He would also give some of the other uh, musicians in his quartet, quintet, and oneet, which I don't even know what that means. Mm. Um, trouble if they got too junky like and he Uh. would kick them out like john coltrane he kicked out at one point and then he came back in um but and he apparently was known to have a rather tempestuous uh temper
1: (laughs) yeah he apparently foul temper was married at least three times Mm -hmm. maybe four i've lost track one of them it was to his high school sweetheart betty then he married uh uh francis who it, this movie really goes with the idea, and I've heard this as part of the Miles Davis mythology, that she was kind of his muse, Yep. that he really did his best work because of her. She inspired him, and mm-hmm. then he was actually married for eight years, uh, seven or eight years, to Cicely Tyson, <laughs> the Oscar-nominated actor.
0: Yeah. Um, Francis and Miles, so, so people will know this, uh, did marry in 1959. It was the same year he recorded Kind of Blue, which is generally considered potentially the best jazz record ever made it is certainly the best-selling jazz record ever made having sold five million copies um they would divorce in 1966 and it would be finalized in 1968 because of domestic abuse and his unwillingness to let her work she actually was first dancing in the original broadway cast of west side story yeah uh, she was very highly respected as a dancer. Uh, the Broadway crew wanted her back and they wanted her for the movie, Miles oh, said no. Wow. And mm. Sammy Davis Jr. a number of times tried to get Miles to let her dance for him and he said no.
1: Wow.
0: So that's what I'm talking about. It's like this film's both... There are factual elements to it. It's more like... The stuff with Francis seems to be more or less correct.
1: The f- and those are shown in flashbacks. A lot of the flashbacks right. seem to be... Fairly accurate, uh, historically.
0: Um, Miles' addiction to things seems to be accurate. The time may or may not be true. Uh, He did indeed stop playing from 1975 to 1980. There was nothing,
1: and Columbia was disappeared for five years.
0: He just stopped playing. He just apparently he was said he was done. Um, He just didn't feel music anymore, and eventually he came back. Interestingly, what happened? A lot of what had happened was in the 70s he started moving into more popular music, such as funk and rock and stuff, and a lot of the jazz people felt like he sold out. And some of his stuff is wildly experimental. Um, I actually just recently purchased a copy of uh, Miles Davis Live at Fillmore, which I think is from 1973, and each side of the album is one track, uh, and it's a (laughs) two-album set, and they are out there. They're not even rock, but they're just out there and experimental and improvisational and kind of crazy but he actually hooked up with people like herbie hancock who actually mm-hmm. shows up at the end of the film in the band
1: yeah. yep. um
0: he played with some other rock people and a lot of people just were like this is not jazz and whatever and this is something they would talk about in the film where he says you know that music was like why don't you play kind of blue why don't you play that stuff and he's like that stuff's dead that's music from then this is now if you know if you can't move on, then you're just as dead as the music is. And I think what happened was, he got so much negative attention from his forays into funk and rock in the 70s, that he just sort of withdrew and said, yeah, then fine. If you won't let me continue on and evolve, then I'm not doing it. Oh. Which may or may not be true, but that's what I gathered. Um, so, some of this stuff... Is perfectly real, but then we have Ewan McGregor show up, which admittedly is the opening of the film. And I remember coming out of this film with Max, and the first thing I did was go look up this guy, Dave Braden. It's like, oh, who is he? And it's like, what what do you mean he
1: was fake? Yeah. (laughs) No, and you got to remember, that's not the opening of the film. The opening of the film is Miles, in what is clearly a later period, doing an interview. With someone you can't see, which but you can hear it's Ewan McGregor yeah. doing his full on native Scotsman. Yep. Finally. <laughs> yeah. But you can't see him. We don't then we see him show up in his seventies haircut yeah. and groovy far out threads. <laughs> Boy, did they did they nail some of that seventies clothes? Yeah. And yeah, and that's the bracketing device of the movie is Miles being interviewed. Mm. And in that, he's actually being very cooperative. He's talking and he's answering questions, whereas in the narrative part of the movie where Braden shows up, he hates him. He doesn't want to talk to him. First thing he does pretty much is punch him in the face. Yeah. Which, quite honestly, I didn't have a problem with because this character, Dave Braden, is a jackass. He is. He's
0: not a writer. Spoiler! He's not a writer for Rolling Stone. He's actually a freelancer trying to make a name for himself got wind somehow of the idea that uh, Miles Davis was on the verge of releasing a new album, figured, hey... Here's a great chance, which admittedly it was, and just sort of tries to ingratiate himself <laughs> into Miles' house. He keeps knocking and ringing the doorbell. Miles finally opens the door, hits Dave. Dave retreats. Miles comes out. Dave turns around and retreats back into Miles' house and locks Miles out. <laughs> so now it's Miles ringing his own doorbell and telling him to open the door. At which point, of course, Dave realized, um, I don't have to do anything. You're a crazy person and I'm in your <laughs> house and I'm going to look around. Yep. Uh, and let's say their friendship doesn't exactly instantly blossom from there. Yeah,
1: I don't even know if you call called much of a friendship. They have a sort of eventually kind of a bond. But
0: what is that? There's a movie where it's a quote and they're talking about a relationship. And the, the quote in the movie is this is somebody I could steal horses with. Does that sound familiar? No, I'm afraid not. I can't remember where that's from. If anybody can remember where that's from, by all means, please contact us. That's who kind of Dave ends up being. It's like, yeah, I don't really know if I like you, but eventually I can get you to (laughs) wave a gun at Guido the Killer killer Pimp with me. (laughs) So there's a kind of eventual mutual respect, and I think part of what it is... Um, and I didn't notice this the first time around, but I think part of what it is, is Dave initially is trying too hard. He's trying to fit in with Miles and try to be cool and try to be this hip writer. And he just isn't. And by the end of the film, he is so worn down by all of the crazy crap that Miles makes him do that he just ends up being himself. And that's when Miles is a lot cooler with him. And he's a lot like calmed down.
1: Yeah. He's not trying to be such an operator. By the way, I just looked this up. Yep. Uh, the quote, it's not from a movie. It's actually a German saying: Jemand zum Pferde someone oh. to steal horses with.
0: Oh, there you go. And that
1: means somebody who's completely reliable who'll do something weird with you.
0: Yeah. It's a great quote. I love that yeah, quote. Yeah.
1: But, um, yeah, go it's ahead. A, the, the whole middle of the film, the whole section of what is supposed to be the narrative, is so out there where, you know, Miles Davis is waving guns around. He's like, <laughs> shooting at people he gets shot at one point and by the way just keeps walking he falls down gets up and they don't that that's one of the reasons makes me think it was kind of a fantasy is he's gotten shot in the leg and uh allegedly he's bleeding except eventually he just stops and we don't see anything about it
0: well it could be a graze
1: it's possible
0: and he's already limping because of his bad hip Um, It could be, and this is something, again, didn't occur to me the first time I saw this, because there's literally a part at the end of the film where we suddenly are back to the beginning of the interview process where Dave is trying to ask Miles stuff like nothing had happened, and I kind of wonder if Miles is just like, I want nothing to do with this guy, and he literally, his mind just starts to wander, yeah, and it wanders into all of these weird places that could happen.
1: And it's like he incorporates uh, the guy interviewing him into this fantasy because at the end, we see Dave Brayden, we or at least we see um, Obi-Wan Kenobi there interviewing <laughs> him, and he looks completely different. His hair is yeah. a different style. Yeah, uh, He's wearing different clothes. So, yeah, it, I think it's entirely possible this entire movie or the entire center of the movie is just a fantasy. It's just an idea in Miles Davis in the character's head.
0: And there's a really cool transitions, mostly done with sound, um, where you'll get something like a drummer hitting a couple of really hard... Hits on their drums, and suddenly we're in present day, and it's actually somebody shooting at them. So there's lots of suggestion of back and forth in Miles's um, mind wandering, um, which strangely doesn't really hurt the film. I actually think going back and forth and stitching these things together, not entirely unlike making music, was kind of cool. And I gotta say, for performances, Don Cheadle is great
1: oh he really is he knocks it. this movie he w- he just carries the entire movie and he's just carrying it in his shirt pocket it's not like he's struggling no it's just just like i'm here this is me and yeah. uh I, I i'm the one this this i'm the center of this movie and i this is exactly how i want it which makes sense because he wrote it directed and started <laughs> produced it started it probably yeah, was d- the key grip and The
0: guy wasn't smart enough to spread the blame around. (laughs) Yeah, he
1: basically Ed Wooded the entire movie, only competently.
0: Yeah. This is his first directing credit, by the way, his first directed film. I haven't seen it. He's directed some TV episodes since, but his first film. I I think he does a great job. I really enjoyed this film when I saw it, and I don't even like jazz, or at least... And here's the cool thing for me. I went to this film hating jazz. I don't like jazz. I've never liked jazz. It's one of the few types of music... Uh, that I just cannot get into and after watching this film I'm like uh-oh I kind of like some of the music <laughs> in this movie Dave
1: and I talked yeah.
0: to one of our, our buddies who happens to be a listener occasionally or at least he reads the uh, the the when we post things on Facebook Dave who suggested <laughs> and he suggested it to me decades ago is like man you gotta try kind of blue because that if is exactly
1: the way Dave talks.
0: It's exactly how Dave talks. <laughs> um, if you have never listened to a jazz record or you are like me and you don't like jazz and you want to give it a try, because of course you do have to be a little bit open to it, I can't think of a better album, honestly. Kind of Blue is freaking fantastic. And I listened to it, I sat and listened to it, and I was hooked, and I'm like, I don't like all jazz. But I started buying some jazz records. I started buying some Coltrane um, and some more of Miles Davis. And I actually have a couple more here sitting on my my rack. And <laughs> at the very nice, least... The nice b- rack. <laughs> you said rack. Oh, I said rack. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I I get it. Some of it I get. And some of it's like, especially some of the later Miles Davis is really kind of crazy. Um but you know, good. I like movies that introduce mm. me to things that I like uh, Magnolia. I had utterly forgotten who Amy Mann was and after that film I'm like who did the music for this wait who? And then I became an Amy Mann fan.
1: Yeah, I have to say um, I've never gotten jazz. It's not that I hate it. It just I it doesn't connect with me. To me jazz is like opera. I respect it tremendously. I think the people who who do it can be amazing artists, but I don't listen to it for fun. Every once in a while, think with Miles Davis, and I've heard some pieces of his, and I'll listen to that. There are people who are so good at what they do. They transcend the, the medium. They transcend the genre. It's like ballet. Ballet bores the crap out of me. But yeah. I will watch Barishnikov. I will watch Misty Copeland. I will watch Nureyev. I'll, Cause they're just so good it doesn't matter what they're doing that they, you just want them to want to watch them do something even with opera I you know I'd listen to Pavarotti or Beverly Sills just to hear those voices
0: so but, to paraphrase um, what you're really saying is hate opera love, love polka, polka. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's a deeper yeah. <laughs> we have to work the Flintstones in at least once an episode because <laughs> nothing yeah. says Miles Davis more yeah. than Fred Flintstone okay <laughs>
1: Yeah and I I would also think I also would like to point out that we really have to pay tribute to some of Miles's other performances such as his role as Ivory <laughs> Jones on Miami Vice.
0: Oh and how about his uh his little part as a street performer oh, in Scrooge?
1: Uh, <laughs> that was I I can't believe the Oscars snubbed him that year. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean it's um, we
1: we joke about his little, his appearing in a couple of movies or TV shows The If you look at his uh, record, he did soundtracks, or his music appears Mm -hmm. in the soundtracks of, I think, all the movies. Yeah. I mean, all of them.
0: Well, the number of albums he either both did or appeared on is staggering. Like, jazz albums, they'd sometimes be, the the companies would be like, yeah, we need three this year. Like, huh? (laughs) Three albums in a year? And they would do it. Yeah, that's like the old movie.
1: What? It's like the old movies. It's, you yeah. know, Max Senate say they do a class out class act. They never do more than two movies a week.
0: <laughs> yeah. But sometimes these people would be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm in, you know, Miles Davis quartet, but next week I got to go play on this other record. And it's another stuff. And of course, some of these people would eventually become part of the wrecking crew, which if you've and, not seen the film, the Wrecking crew, I highly recommend it. Really interesting documentary. Um, and people would do that; they'd be like, "Well, I got to record this morning, and then tonight I got a gig downtown." So whatever. Um, yeah, the number of albums Miles was a part of is just staggering.
1: And the people who he knew, he knew everybody. He used to hang yeah. out with, even even I know these people. In, you know, Dizzy Gillespie and Max Roach, and and. All these guys, in, in that final musical sequence, where which is supposed to be Miles on stage, when, when it's Don Cheadle, uh, you know, Herbie Hancock's there, you know, uh, Gary Clark Jr. is there, Esperanza Spalding, who is one of the premier jazz bass players today, is in that band. Yeah. It's amazing. I, I don't know how Don Cheadle got them to do it, except I assume he said, hey, I'm doing a movie about Miles Davis. Okay, quit drilling, you hit oil.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because the one thing they they kind of leave out of that last sequence of him playing, because he obviously... And i got to say, I'm p- nearly willing to believe that Don Cheadle can play trumpet, because the, the, mm. the fingering he's doing is so much better than most people pretending that they can play things. Like, you know, <laughs> she played piano with a slow oh. right hand. <laughs> um, yeah. And they do it close up, and it's like, I nearly bought it, and I'm not saying that I think he actually plays trumpet. He does not play the trumpet on in the movie, but I nearly believed he could play trumpet. Um, but Miles, in his late career, and this actually got him into a lot of trouble, he would play facing away from the audience.
1: Oh, and, wow.
0: Yeah, and a lot of people, of course, didn't like that. So, um, Yeah.
1: Apparently Don Cheadle learned to play the trumpet for this movie.
0: There you go. See? Yeah.
1: What, what? also, uh, dang, it's just gone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we say no. that a lot about Max. Could yeah. you please help? Send your donations of Bumpy
1: Bucks to... Help me! <laughs>
0: <laughs> did did no, it come back?
1: Uh, it will go on. <laughs> okay. Um,
0: a couple of things they do leave out, although they sort of hint at it, is that Miles did go to Juilliard. Um, hmm. And he even says the one thing he got out of Juilliard that helped him was music theory. Like that was really important to him. There's one point where he's playing the piano, and Dave Braden's like, "Oh, I didn't know you played piano." He's like, "No, no, no, that's just just notes." <laughs> and it's like. <sighs> The thing about jazz that I didn't get and didn't understand was to, it seemed to me that it's like you could just play anything. And there's that, that phrase or that, that saying, it's close enough for jazz, meaning like you don't have to actually hit notes or anything. That's exactly the opposite. Jazz is all about being so good at what you're doing, especially in a group mm. that you can just make stuff up out in the moment that works and everybody else will understand what you're going to do and do it along with you this doesn't mean that they don't rehearse or they don't know have a good idea of what they're doing but you've got to be exceedingly good as a musician to be a competent jazz player that
1: that was part of what i really liked about the movie is the sequences where we see miles's process where mm -hmm. he's in the room with that I remember l- looking at how many people he was in the room making an album with. And it's like this is this isn't a jazz combo. This is a small orchestra. Yeah. Well, sometimes and, it was. And just the way he's so meticulous. Like, no, no, no. Change this chord. You know, don't don't do an F seven, do an F minor seventh here, and you know, double up on this note. And the thing was, everybody gets it. Everyone's like, yeah, okay, I can see that. Yeah, sure. It's all so meticulous and careful, and yet there's that real sense of improvisation. Yeah, I I don't understand it. I don't know how that works. I don't know how it's so precise and yet so all over the place.
0: Yeah. And one of his, like, biggest well-known songs uh, apparently i'm sorry this is john coltrane uh-huh. one of his biggest well-known covers was these are a few of my favorite things if you can believe that oh
1: yeah every jazz music every jazz combo i've ever heard starts playing that at some point
0: yeah and i, I actually listened to it there was a live album I, I i downloaded and uh there's coltrane on his sax just going after that song and i'm like what a weird choice i wouldn't like but that's what they would do is they would take something known and then make something else out of it and sometimes it was it was uh, improvised and sometimes it wasn't um that jazz club that they see him that we see him in front of that's it's ostensibly in the late 50s early 60s um that incident actually did happen he actually was beaten up by a cop outside the place yeah. he was actually working at the time but that little jazz club oh my god I would so kill to go to a place like that, just just once, to see what it's like. And just Those people just in that groove and doing their thing in a small audience. None of this, you know, giant stadium thing. But, um, yeah, so he was... Uh, one of the reasons apparently he was so cynical was because he thought there had been some progress made in racial relations. Spoiler! And... <laughs> he his cynicism came back when he was literally beat up for uh loitering.
1: Yeah, cuz he was standing of, out having a cigarette in front of the club that had his name on it.
0: Yeah. And he's like, "I work here. I'm Miles Davis." And the guy says, "I don't care. Get off the corner." And you know, obviously, Miles could have just turned around and went into the club, but that wasn't the point. The point was he had every right to be where he was, and it was also, at least in the film, it was meant to feel like it was staged because just as soon as the cop comes after him and Miles starts to go after the cop, there's a plainclothesman right behind Miles, mm-hmm. and you know he gets beaten up, which did happen, and he is brought to jail and has to be brought out. Um, yeah, they did eventually he was drop the charges, the charges yeah. but but still
1: yeah it's a very jarring sequence because we don't see any other blatant examples of racism in the movie except and that again which was real and it, it's in a lot of ways very upsetting that whole that whole sequence because it no, does there's, there's, it comes out of nowhere
0: there's one comment that's made about Francis that's really pretty awful oh and she's oh, rehearsing and she's, yeah. I'm not gonna repeat
1: it but no it's yeah it's and you can see when he overhears it. And he at that moment, are like, oh, God, he's going to murder that guy, isn't he? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's why the film... Well, let's get to the questions. Why not? Because this yeah. is going to feed right into them. Um, so what do we know about
1: Miles from this movie? Uh, not, I don't know. We, we, we learn about his process. As a person, as I say, this thing feels like it's supposed to be a fantasy of his. Mm-hmm. And you're going to learn stuff about someone from their fantasy, So I guess we learn some, st- we, we get an idea. I don't know how much we learn in terms of facts. Mm-hmm. But we, we, we get at least Don Cheadle's impression of what Miles Davis may have been like.
0: And I'd say an the stuff that's in the past, as you pointed out, is probably more or less correct. The stuff that, or well, I should say, all of it's in the past because the film supposedly takes place in 1980. So the stuff in the real past, past of this film, meaning the late 50s, early 60s, uh, the fact that he's perhaps not the best husband known to man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the, the he, fact he that he was addicted to substances.
1: Um, yeah, this doesn't try to. It doesn't really try to uh, idealize him. No. E- even as a musician, there's that straight. The whole thing at the end, where we finally hear the tape, that he has literally put himself and his new acquaintance in danger, in harm's way to get. They have been shot at, they have shot other people, and the tape is nothing. It's him fiddling around on a pipe organ. Yeah. And Although- it's. In-
0: I thought it was interesting. Is this, so there's a kid they run into who is the, the, the new up-and-coming who is ostensibly going to be as good a horn player as Miles ever was and, of course, is much younger. And he gets involved and there's drugs with him and they're yeah. shooting with him. Um, when they get back to Miles's house and put the tape on, he's still with them. And Dave Braden's like, what is this? This is what we fought for? There's nothing. And... The kid goes, Junior goes, no, it's all there. And he can hear it. And they start to play, and you get this idea. And I kind of now hear, because this film is now supposed to be um, a daydream or whatever, I wonder if that kid is supposed to represent, like, Miles's talent or his spark coming back.
1: Or who he used to be, his past yeah. self, almost. You have to wonder, because at one point, when they're listening to the tape, Miles picks up his trumpet, and you think, oh, now we're going to hear something, and he can't play it. Yeah, he just can't get a sound out of it, and you don't. And clearly, because at the end he is playing. Obviously, it's not like he suddenly lost, you know, his the magic of his mouth. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's like it's gone out of him. He doesn't have it, and you know, Junior's trying to encourage you. May, you know get your chops back, start to uh, do some scales or something. <laughs> and Dave yeah. is like going, "No, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not helping."
0: Uh, the next it's, question. Is going to be more difficult to answer than usual, but yeah. how
1: accurate was
0: the depiction? Uh,
1: <laughs> well, as you've said, there are as there are pieces in there that are clearly very accurate, and then there is a whole lot that I don't think is supposed to be accurate.
0: No, and I think that that's the point. Is like it's it's his daydream, and it's Don Cheadle. It's like, what if Miles Davis could be in a caper film? I think it would go something <laughs> like this. <laughs> And honestly, it's goofy. It's like, what
1: is going on? But it's kind of fun. It is kind of. It's difficult because it's very hard to like any of the characters. Yeah. They're also, they're either, I mean, they're very believable, but they're yep. just awful people. They're well, just, we like Francis. Francis is okay, but Francis, I think we're also seeing an idealized version of it through Miles's memory. Mm-hmm. She seems very cool. She's on screen for about 11 minutes.
0: Yeah. Uh, what I could read about her, she actually seemed like a pretty decent person. Yeah, but, you know. I believe
1: that, but she's... The the thing with Frances is she's not really a character in this. She's an ideal. Yeah. She She's, again, only really exists in relation to Miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as such, there really aren't any other women characters other than stoned girl in bed at the drug dealer's house and a yeah. uh, couple of secretaries.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um... And then the last question, do we feel we get to know the subject better after having watched this?
1: Uh, yeah, well, in that, when I went in, I knew absolutely nothing about Miles Davis. Yeah, because I knew a couple of things. You I knew his thi- name
0: was Miles and his name was Davis, right? I knew.
1: I knew that and I knew he played a trumpet. And... <laughs> Was was wicked famous, and that's about it.
0: You are a worldly man, aren't I you, Max? I am.
1: I am. I am. So I am wicked worldly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: he knows. He knows and likes both kinds of music: country, country and, western. and western.
1: Yep. <laughs> that's um, right.
0: For me, up till now, this question and the first one have felt so connected as have almost been the same thing. Meaning, what do we know about Miles from this movie, and do we feel we get to know him better after this? This time, I think they're actually really different. Um, Sure, the events in this movie might be made up, but Miles Davis having a drug problem, which they kind of barely touch on. Yes, it is sort of one of his main motivations for getting his advance and eventually dealing with the tape and stuff like that. But, you know, his having a drug problem, his outbursts and his mean side, those are sadly totally Miles. So, in a way, though, what amounts to a stage play, I think we actually do get a glimpse of the real Davis. It's just that none of it's real, <laughs> nope. if that makes any sense.
1: Oh, kind of. I mean, the events may not be real, but it's like the personality is real, the character, the characteristics yeah. are real.
0: Yeah. Um, as I said, this is the movie that got me into jazz, so I, I, I have a... a soft spot for it one way or the other, even if I don't think it's a good film. Do I? We don't know yet. (laughs) Have to say that. Um, There's there's actually a really interesting concept that that the character of Miles suggests, um, or at least is suggested in the film, and that is that once art is released, in other words, published, put up on the web, made into a book, a movie, whatever, it's no longer really the artist's. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say this is because uh, people are all about, like, there's this radio show that, he, that actually gets him going in the beginning of the film. They're doing a Miles Davis jazz festival. And they're talking about Matt Miles like he's not there, uh, which he isn't. And then Miles gets all uptight and he calls the radio stage and he's like, yeah, it is Miles Davis. Put me on to that guy. And then and <laughs> the guy, of course, is all, oh, oh, Mr. Davis, it's so great. Yeah, shut up. You don't know nothing. It's like, and, you talk
1: too much. Yeah,
0: it's like, just play the music. And he's like, oh, why, you know, why wouldn't you want to play? And it's like, here's the problem, Miles. Kind of Blue, at this point, if it's 1980, has been out for 21 years. Mm. And he's, he has gone past that. As far as he, as he says in the movie, that, that's, that music's dead. I don't want to do that anymore. But it's kind of no longer yours right? And there's a really interesting thing that popped up. You would know this better than I would. Uh, I don't want to say it started happening in the 70s or 80s, this whole deconstructionist movement where the author's intent was no longer considered mm. the most important thing.
1: Yeah, that was, late, that was more late 80s and 90s. It was part was of the post-structural okay. movement, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you they, were teaching
0: during that, right?
1: Yeah, I was. That was, you know, reader response theory and uh, the deconstructionist theory, the idea, yeah, that the intention, the, it was the idea of the death of the author. The author was irrelevant.
0: Yeah. And whether or not you buy into that, it's kind of true. It also happens to lead into our poll question this week, (laughs) just saying. What you want, and this happens, I don't know if you've noticed, have you ever been to a live concert of any kind, Max, but when you go to a live show of your favorite band or Mm singer-songwriter, they're really more interested in general in playing their newest album and the stuff that's on that. And the audience really wants to hear the stuff they know. yeah. And it's like, there's that dichotomy, that whole, I've made this thing, but now it's not really mine anymore. And I thought that it was something that got me thinking in this film. And that's true of a lot of the stuff that Miles did. He was way past doing traditional jazz or what's called hard, hard bop in his case. Um, and he was doing funk and rock and all this other electronic stuff. Um, he, he wasn't playing electronic stuff, but it was with him. But people were clamoring for the old stuff. And it's like, it's kind of not yours anymore. Mm. Um I just thought it was that, that part was kind of interesting, even though it's not specifically stated
1: in the movie. Yeah, yeah, I think that, yeah. That's that is an interesting thing, and it is brought up, and even the whole the whole metaphor of struggling to get the tape back, and Columbia, the guy at Columbia, basically saying that belongs to us. You know, we paid you the advance. We, you're, he, he's yelling at this guy George about getting me my money, and he's saying we get you the money we get when we get the tape. You know, it's a business transaction. And it's like, yeah, but it's my music. And he's saying, no, nah, technically it's not your music. We bought it. And, and interestingly,
0: he kept the rights to most of his stuff, but later yeah. in his career, he wasn't able to do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, another little thing they touch on very, very briefly, which was true, is that he did end up doing a lot of drawings and paintings. And the end show, where they've got all these graphics in the background, yeah, those are Miles Davis paintings. Those oh. are from his paintings, mm.
1: yeah, they were kind of interesting. I mean, they weren't this he clearly had some technical skill. I mean, to my untrained eye, yeah, is this stuff any good?
0: It's abstract. Mm. Um I want to say that it's not entirely. Unconnected to the the kind of stuff that um, Basquiat was doing, Um, a lot of I haven't looked into a lot of it. I'm looking at a little of it now, Um, uh, but you know, it was a lot of people. This happens a lot. Uh, Tony Curtis was a painter. Really? Um, (laughs) Yonder lies
1: a portrait of my father, the Caliph.
0: Yeah, Jim Carrey. Oh,
1: that I'd heard of. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, sadly, it beca- it's a lot of times creative people that aren't painters, they, they suddenly become quote-unquote painters by literally picking up a paintbrush and painting. They don't do any study into it. They don't actually learn the craft like they did their whatever their main craft is. But now they're a painter. And of course they get attention because they're a famous person. Um, rant, 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 rant. rant. <laughs> but uh, at least the stuff that Miles Davis did was interesting. And it could be, I forget this issue or not, but it could also be that during that dry period is when he started doing this. I don't know. So
1: Sure. Uh,
0: we are getting to that point, yeah. Señorina. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any other notes you want to get to? or
1: um, No, I think we covered uh, all of my stuff. I, although I, 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 it's funny, I was thinking of the, uh, the session tape that they're all fighting over. All I could think of was Marcellus Washington's briefcase from uh, Pulp Fiction. Oh, okay. As kind of a MacGuffin, and I find it—it's it, kind of jarring that they actually take the tape out of the case and play it. Because I oh, forgot—I right. forgot they had done that. Because I haven't seen oh. this movie since you know since 2015. And uh, I, I was like, oh wow! So this is—you know—this isn't what I remember. This is not a MacGuffin. This is actually, in effect, fairly integral to the plot because it shows us. His process, and it shows us how other people are perceiving his work versus how he perceives it. Because he clearly thinks it's important. Braden is like, "This is nothing," but he and Junior go, "No, this is, this is part of it. This, this isn't what." And you can see why he didn't want them to have it because it's not done. Right. But it's it's all the idea of of what he wants to do.
0: And what's funny is like you, what you hear is this organ and you can hear miles in the background saying things like F sharp major seventh or, we know, I don't know anything about chords. Um, so he's suggesting to himself, like it's almost like you can hear his note taking while he's playing organ. Um, but yeah, it's not a MacGuffin because it's actually a thing. It it does resolve.
1: Yeah. That was it. Um,
0: I would say, um,
1: about that time. Get to that part. The roundup. So, and... Mike, dang, sorry. <laughs> so, Mike, what did you think of this movie?
0: I really like this film. It is not a perfect film at all. And there's probably people who know more about Miles Davis than I do that could come and say, yeah, they got this wrong. They got this. I don't care. It's fun. It got me interested in the person and the music. The performances, the two main performances, are great. Don Cheadle and Ewan McGregor are great. They have great chemistry together. Yeah. Um, It is a weird buddy film, but it's kind of a buddy film. (laughs) Um, The kid who plays Junior does a great job of somebody who's like both got all the confidence in the world when he's playing, but absolutely none when his hero is nearby. Um, I I can't remember who the actor is who plays Guido the Killer Pimp, but he's hilarious.
1: (laughs) Um, He he is like the absolute, the recording agency sleaze that you just picture every one of them to be. They may not, none of them may be real, but uh, he, he's the archetype.
0: Yeah. He reminded me of uh, James Kahn's son, who was in uh, Ocean's Eleven. I can't remember his name. You remember him? He played uh, one of the the Moron twins. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A little bit. Not not Casey Affleck, the other one. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I really liked the film. I was looking forward to seeing it again. I'm glad I did. Um, Don Cheadle, you know, it's a three-way, right? He does writing, directing, and starring. I think he does great in all three. I'm really sorry that this film didn't get more play than it did. I'm really glad you and I just happened to go to it in a theater because it was fun. What do you think?
1: I uh, I respect this movie tremendously. It's a little like jazz for me. I don't really enjoy it. Because the characters are so painful. Yeah. But I think it's really well done. And I'm just always so impressed, especially these days, when someone takes a chance. Because mm. this is not a traditional kind of movie. No. Well, it, it technically, you know, it's a heist movie or a buddy movie. <laughs> but it's really not. It's, both a, it's a pseudo-biopic. It's a buddy movie. It's a movie about the nature of jazz, about music. It's all over the place. It takes a lot of risks. I don't think it hits every note, but I respect the hell out of it for trying. Yeah. And I, I, I think this is a really admirable movie. And uh, if you get a chance, I would say watch it. If you, Heck, if you like Don Cheadle, if you're at all interested in jazz, uh, if you're interested in innovative filmmaking... I would definitely watch this. And uh, it does have also the benefit of the biopics of being the shortest we've seen. It's only like an hour and 40 minutes. And most of these biopics are well over two, two and a half hours.
0: And you know what's really funny about this film that I didn't feel from other films? Like a lot of the other films that we've we've watched, I feel like we get a glimpse of a part of their life. And we know that they were more interesting also afterwards or before. Mm And this, it's like, I know that Miles did stuff besides what we see i think we get plenty like i even if it's not real i feel like we get a perfectly good understanding of how miles was throughout his career i don't like i don't feel like i want more the film delivers what i need
1: yeah i could see that yeah it's like i'm sitting there going oh i kind of wish we could see him with dizzy gillespie and max roach and 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 those guys are like yeah, but we don't really need to. It's not like walk the line where it's like hey, look there. Hello, I'm Elvis Presley. Hello, I'm Carl Perkins. <laughs> <laughs> hello, well, I'm Carling Peter Graves. exactly like Peter Graves. <laughs> yes, and they all went to the University of Minnesota. <laughs> I'm Peter Graves. Hello. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and it's like with, with, you know, both of us, when we saw Walk the Line, we're like, oh, why don't we get to see him in Colombo? Because that is the height <laughs> of his career.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I'm still sorry we didn't get to see Miles, the clip of Miles Davis in Scrooged.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would not have helped. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I recommend it too. It's, yeah. it's rentable. Uh, it's So uh, Miles Ahead, go ahead. If you're looking for something different, if you want to actually, I mean, it's, it's not like having to watch the French New Wave from the 80s or the 70s or anything like that, or Cinema Verite or something that's really going to make you go, I don't care what's going on, there's words at the bottom, no. <laughs> um, broaden your horizons a little. I'd say, yeah, go see Miles Could Ahead. Try. Um, but we've got some business to take care of. We I do. I believe we do, so Lance, but we should want- talk about business because we want you to answer our poll question, which, yes. if you've forgotten, is, should directors be allowed to change their films? And by change, of course, we mean... Any version of change, such as improve or
1: director's cut, uh, whatever you know, the so-called yeah, director's cut.
0: Sure, or even like, hey, I just want to, I just want to fix the special effects, man. Oh, and uh make Han a better character because he no. didn't shoot first. Yes, he
1: did. Yes, <laughs> yes. So should this in ser- fact be made a federal crime?
0: Yes. To do so, you may go to our website, which is maxmicmovies.com, where we have every single episode where every second has been carefully wrapped and protected from every other second. So you can download each second of each episode
1: separately. Including (laughs) our secret nude episode, the one we did where we were both naked.
0: And if you can figure out which episode that is,
1: you two will get bumpy bucks. Many bumpy bucks.
0: (laughs) Lots of bumpy bucks. So comment on the website. You can also email us directly at us at maxmikemovies.com. Hey, do you like social media? Sure, we all do. (laughs) You can find us on both Twitter and Facebook under Guess Yes. Max Mike Movies. And that, lastly, that not Leafly, not Leafly, <laughs> you can find us on the, your favorite podcast app. And there's probably a bunch we don't even know we're on. Um, things like iHeartRadio and Spotify and, well, you know. But we're still in the midst of this series, which means there's a new movie next week. Something yes. we don't
1: usually do. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, next week we're going to actually We'll talk about a piece of cinema. That's a Ooh. big change. Yes, <laughs> Flim, possibly a talkie. Oh, I hope so. I like talkies. <laughs>
0: so, where are we going to the flickers next week, Max?
1: Well, next week we're going to be talking about a famous resident of Manchester. No, wait. <clears throat> we're going to be watching the movie, the very recent semi-biopic, *Mank*. About. Is- I believe uh, whatever his first name is, Mankiewicz. It's about the uh, filming of Citizen Kane and the um, issues that came up. No, not naming anybody's name. William Randolph Hearst.
0: (laughs) Interesting story. I've met William Randolph Hearst the third a number of times. Really. Ah, well, well, I'll leave that for the kale well, for next reason
1: week. Reason to turn tune in next week. You'll never guess where. Yeah. But
0: uh I sure Mank isn't about a Pokemon. I think it's a Pokemon.
1: No, no, no. That that's Mankawa. Oh, Mankawa. Yep, yep and it uh, it uh, evolves into Florbidap. Oh, I love yep. Flor- Flor- so Florbidap. So tune into the Pokemon <laughs> movie next week
0: when we got to catch them all. Bank, I choose you.